0: or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Mary Wang. Um, Mary is, well, first of all, this is a a, a very special episode. We haven't really done anything um, similar to this, but but I should have said Dr. Wang um, (laughs) as she is, A veterinarian and and soon to be um, cardiologist, heading into her cardiology residency. We'll we'll talk about all of that. Um, But first, I I just want to say thanks. Thanks for coming on. I, I, as I said before we started recording, I'm really excited about this. I think that we can do um, really have a great conversation about like the veterinary community in general, and and the the, maybe some of the issues we're facing and, and all of that. But but first, just just thank you. Thanks for taking the time out today. I really appreciate thank it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm so sorry if you hear like random scrambling. It's my cats fighting in the background. So that's That's okay. Great.
0: That's okay. That's <laughs> actually like perfect backdrop for uh, two vets talking on a podcast. It's, I know, right? of, of animals <laughs> yeah. uh, causing chaos in the background. That's most of our lives. I know. <laughs> um, tell it let's just tell tell people your story your background a little bit about your life and 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 we will definitely get into kind of the the road to you know becoming a veterinarian and and uh and then a specialist and all of that but but just tell us a little bit about yourself
1: okay so I was actually born in Argentina Buenos Aires um my dad's like Chinese he immigrated to Argentina met my mom there and then we moved to the states when I was super young um and I have two sisters Um, One of them stayed in Argentina at the time. So I grew up mainly with my middle sister Um, and I like moved around a lot throughout my life. So I was mainly in SoCal in the beginning. Then I went to Utah for some time and then in NorCal and I came back here, but I went to undergrad at UCLA. Um, I did my uh, vet school at Western University of Health Sciences. And then afterwards I did my rotating internship at um, BCA West LA. So I've pretty much been in LA my entire life. Um, I, after I finished my rotating, I was pretty set. Like I was throughout vet school thinking about like, do I want to specialize in surgery or whatever? And then finally during my um, internship, I was thinking cardio, but I think, um, throughout my internship or I don't know, sometime, sometime in there, I got really, really burnt out. And I was like, you know what, maybe ER is a better route for me right now because I was also... Um, wanting to stay near my family. So in this last year, I did a year of ER work. Um, And then um, this year, I also was, you know, it stayed on my mind. Like the cardio route was something that I've always wanted to do. And I didn't want to like end up sometime in my life where I looked back and I regretted just not giving it a shot Um, because I've been working so hard towards that. And so, you know, I decided this year to go through the match and finally apply and then i matched to a cardio residency so i was like what i was <laughs> so excited um and i will be going to arizona for that yeah
0: yeah and that's um congratulations by the way i i, I knew thank that you. and i'm i'm super excited for you and it's well deserved but i'm so
1: excited yeah thank you l-
0: let's just back up cuz i i think like y- you talking about that to me i exactly understand everything you're saying and but I yeah. think most people listening may not understand kind of all of the steps. They think about their their veterinarian that they go to on a regular basis and and they you know they think, oh that vet, you know, gets to yeah. play, play with puppy puppies and kittens all day and that kind of thing. Yeah. So first tell people the time frame there. Tell tell people how much time you have already put into this and yeah. and what's ahead.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Yeah, it's it's a long, long road. Um, I pretty much wanted to be a vet since I was like in um, maybe like elementary school to like middle school is when I started working on it. So I started like volunteering. Um, It's been years. But after high school um, and doing undergrad, which you have to do a bunch of prerequisites for like you have to have pretty much a degree that would be compatible for vet school. Um, So I was like, I got my biology, my um, bachelor's in biology while I was in uh, UCLA and that satisfied a lot of the prerequisites necessary to even enter vet school. Um, And you have to have a pretty good GPA to go to vet school. So you have to start working early essentially. After um, undergrad, I mean, I personally took a gap year just to work and make some extra money to have some buffer, Um, but most people just go straight to vet school after that. And then um, it's four years total, um, which you also, like if you're, and I recently made a post about this on Instagram, but if you're thinking about like specializing in stuff, you already have to maintain a pretty competitive GPA, I think. Like that's what I've been told um, to even enter a residency. So you have to work really hard. And then, yeah. you know, to get into a competitive rotating internship, which is oftentimes what you need to even be considered for a residency, um, you also need a high GPA. So it's like you're you're working. Like honestly, I feel like I've been working towards this goal since I was probably like, I don't know, fourteen or fifteen years old. Um, yeah. Not everyone does that. There's also the unconventional route where they like decide in undergrad that they want to be vets, but you already have to have like a foundation of having been working hard to maintain like a good good grades and then doing extracurriculars. Um so after you know your rotating internship, which is one year, then that's when you apply for a residency. And you only do that if you want to specialize in something. So specialize in cardiology or surgery or neurology or internal medicine. And specializing involves finishing a three-year residency. Um that sometimes, depending on how competitive it is, requires like a specialty internship like right after you're rotating, which surgeons, I know for a fact now, it's really common for them to do like two specialty internships before even being considered for a residency. So you end up literally spending years. You sometimes don't even end up where Mm, you want to be. If you you went all the way through, you might be like 32 or 33 or 34 before you even end up being a specialist and then finally starting to make money because by the way, during your rotating in well, not so much rotating now in California, but typically the these types of like training programs pay really badly. So you're not making any money till you're like in your mid 30s sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much the path.
0: Yeah. And, and a couple of things that I just want to, you know, sort of point out to people listening that I think are important about that, that story is one is that you, you sort of touched on the competitive nature of it. There's, uh, you're always like looking to be in that sort of top percentile. So, in mm-hmm. in high school, you need to get into a good college. And in, in college, mm-hmm. you need to get into vet school, which is is very competitive and requires a high GPA and a lot of like experience within the field and things like that. So you've got to have work experience. You've got to have a high GPA. Um, and then from vet school, you can go out after only spending eight years in school and be a uh you know general practitioner veterinarian yeah. you can you can be you know sort of what most people think of your, your family veterinarian that you would go to for mm-hmm. um in the spays or, or uh, vaccines or you just sort of that regular um routine care and mm-hmm. then if you want to specialize now you're talking about an additional at least four more years so you mentioned it you, you're going to have a a rotating internship that could be very competitive to get into. And then the residencies at each level actually gets virtually more competitive. So the the yeah. um, pool of available spots or opportunities for people to get into gets smaller and smaller, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot of colleges and then there's less vet schools and then there's even less internships. And there, it, so it's just, you know, and then, um, you know, just to give people kind of a numbers basis for this, I was... Yeah at my last job, I was, um, we trained residents. So we had a a residency program and we were, uh, we would take one resident at our program per year Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: we would get about anywhere from 120 to 150 applications for that one single spot. And so it's, uh, surgery, I don't know if it's the most competitive one. There's a, I think in it there are more surgery slots, but there are also more people trying to do surgery so um, it may be as in terms of ratio it might be similar to cardio I, I don't know all those statistics in all the sp- specific specialties I don't know if you know for cardio kind of how many spots you had to to um apply to
1: yeah I think so there were total a total of 22 available programs I think counting um Canada as well and the. US um, which I applied to all of them yeah. and I only got interviews for four three of them were residencies and one of them was an internship so yeah. um and I, I I feel like I wasn't like the most competitive person but I also had a pretty decently like beefed up application so I don't even know I think the numbers it was like um pretty low i want to say like like every program got probably 80 applicants and then 10 got an interview and then right. they chose one so you're like one out of 80 right you know yeah, yeah. so
0: you're you in in basically again you've got you know 80 people and and probably most people are applying to almost every program so somewhere in the Mm -hmm. range of like 80 to 90 applicants for 22 total spots so it's uh it it gets very competitive um and as you mentioned in some of the specialties surgery i know personally is it's now commonplace for someone to have to do at least one surgical internship in between the general internship and the residency if not two sometimes people do three so you have um ultimately eight years of college between college yeah. and vet school and then you have at least four more years of specialty training as you said you're you're, you're likely into your 30s before you're um you know at a, at a job that you make uh <laughs> more than more than enough to live on essentially at that point <laughs> and in and some of those internships and residencies, it's it's arguable whether or not you're making enough to live on in california they do a pretty good job of of making sure that it's e- at least um enough for people to survive on but if you were to look Mm -hmm. at it on a per hour basis it's probably about four or five dollars an hour with the amount of time that that people are spending in in you know in service of their residency or their internship yeah Um, you mentioned something about um which is semi-unique at least in my experience but also uh similar you took a gap year between college and and vet school correct you said
1: i did yeah yeah, I, I, I as a tutor just trying to make money
0: yeah yeah and I, I actually took three three years uh gap year between college and vet school and that's oh, not wait. the norm but it happens oh. like people you know people need it sometimes there's what for whatever reason um yeah. sometimes it's to beef up your resume sometimes it's just because you need to make a little bit of money What whatever the case yeah. may be but many yeah. people go kind of college vet school like sort of straight through the whole thing mm-hmm. and then you took a year off in between your internship and your residency. Man. and i I want to if you don't mind, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because that's not it's not typical, just so people know it's not typical. like, in fact,
1: it's at least not in, right.
0: <laughs> right like in in the surgery world, we we discourage that because yeah. people will see that as and in right or wrong. sometimes people will see it as, uh, maybe a lack of commitment to, to whatever yeah. the specialty is. If someone took time off now it, in reality, it, it's probably ridiculous to look at it that way because sometimes people need a minute, but um, what, I guess, what led you to, to do that? What, what kind of um things happen? And don't share, you don't have to share anything you're uncomfortable with, but like, yeah. what, what was the kind of thought process behind taking that year off? And, and, you know, w- and then deciding, yes, I do want to go forward this, which again, I I don't think that's a bad thing. Like if you're not sure you want to do a residency, you probably shouldn't because it is yeah. three more years of intense, uh, intense dedication to that specific um, specialty. But what was you, tell me about your journey there and kind of how that, that, that all uh, played out for you.
1: Yeah. I think during my internship, like I said, I was probably not as mentally prepared for what I was getting into until I was actually doing it and then uh, like I guess all of us interns experience but um, because it's
0: impossible to be uh, mentally prepared for that
1: yeah going from a
0: student to being like someone who works 60 to 80 hours a a week like as a doctor
1: like not only the time working but the literal amount of decisions that you make per day change so much and like it's not that you're a vet student and you're like going up and getting like guidelines on how to run through cases or like here this is your plan or like here let me give you the treatments like no this is on you you have a license now and any bad decision you make or any bad client interaction that you have will fall on you so already for the first three months that was draining Um, and I think that probably I was incredibly burnt out by the time match came along and it's funny because you start your internship in like what June and then by come like September you're supposed to know that you're like wanting to do residency because that's when match applications start like around there and I think by November or October I can't remember they close, but it's definitely before the year ends and so that was already daunting you have to know for sure Um, and I already kind of like entering it found this weird like of ER medicine I don't know if I'm like a little masochistic or something but I literally was just like know i don't mind it i think i can do it and i've had heard that honestly like er medicine was paying so well because after covid the amount of patients that we started to see was insane um and literally there there was so much like need for an er veterinarian that i was like you know i could see myself doing this and um i think i would be okay so it was either to me like er or just like saying, you know what, screw it. Let's just try for residency and see what happens or like, you know, apply through the match. Um, And then eventually I think um, I had been at, you know, West LA where they already have a cardiology department and they have a residency program there and they also have an internship program. So um, I had been like kind of like in touch with my mentor and I was like I'm kind of interested in you know following through and they were taking an intern that year so I was like well perfect if I'm interested and maybe I want to then you know it might work out but it turned out that by the time I had decided to even look into if they were still interested in taking me as an intern they had already spoken to like another cardiologist that had an already internship trained cardiology like uh, doctor that wanted to continue and do another internship at West, West LA. So she had one year of experience over me. And on top of it, I still wasn't 100% sure, to be completely honest. And so I was yeah. like, you know what? It's okay. Like, I'm just going to do a year of ER. And to be honest, at that time, I think I was fully convinced that I didn't even know that I wanted to specialize anymore. That's how burnt out I really was. And um, I think that maybe during the mat, like when everybody started matching, because my, my intern class was super just hardcore and they like half of them matched to residencies like all of them that applied to residencies matched um so like of course that was a little bit um sad that day that i was like okay well everybody matched and i'm just here like i'll do er next year but um i think honestly i don't regret that i don't want to keep going off on tangents because i think like looking back i'm glad i did this er year but i'll just like end it there
0: yeah I, i think that um it's it's interesting to and, and the match process happens in you know with with human medicine and things like that, but it is it is a um a bit of a crazy thing because especially when you're going from uh like when you're going from vet school to an internship, right? You've been in vet school for four years. You're kind of transitioning. It doesn't feel like to me anyway. It didn't feel like as hard to make that decision and make that transition from vet school to to internship but when you're going to go from an internship to a residency you're as you just as you described so the the timing of it is is a little bit intense you start your internship yeah. in june-ish middle of june sometimes early july depending on the program and mm-hmm. then you basically do have to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to go into the the match and what that is is essentially you're applying to all of the residency positions And you have to make that decision by about September, um, maybe October. And then you have to have all your your materials submitted by December. And then what happens is there's basically like a two month-ish waiting (laughs) period after people get all their application materials in where they hear Mm -hmm. nothing. And Mm -hmm. then there's match day. And here in California at 5 a.m. on match day, all of a sudden, Everybody who matches just pops up on a computer. Like you get a you get an email and you find out did I match or did I not match? And if you didn't yeah. match and you were trying to, now there's a scramble to try and find any of the open slides. It's it's a really um, intense process, and it, and it's it's actually you know you you mentioned being sort of sad because m- maybe it was a little bit of regret or, at not applying, but you know you're seeing all your friends and your colleagues match at that point. But yeah. the interesting thing is there's so many um I think kind of raw emotions wrapped up in match day because so if you're applying for residency and you match you're elated about that I I did that yeah and I had friends that didn't match yeah (laughs) and it was really hard to be like super excited and and um you know kind of show your enthusiasm that you matched when like your friends are crying. And so it, it is a, it is a really a challenging day. um, And a, and a lot of emotion, I think, mixed up in it. And, and, (laughs) you know, from all sides, whether you matched or didn't match, or you're, you're doing the scramble, like it's, it's a bit of a challenging process. And then, so that happens about in March, and then you finish out your internship and, you know, sort of move on Um, with with that process. So, so you took the year off, you did, you worked in ER and what, what about that made you decide, okay, I, I do want to do this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back through this, this process of the match and try and get a, a residency.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, like ER work is hard. I will say, because I went from one high volume hospital, like VCA West LA already is huge. Um, And then I went to Access right after that, which is comparatively, like, honestly, as an ER doctor, I was probably seeing even more than what I was as an intern. Yeah, definitely, because I was faster. But um, it just felt like the intensity was just as bad, because when I was an intern, and I was seeing, like, maybe not as many cases as a typical ER doctor would, um, it still felt like a lot. I was learning a lot. But then moving to Access, I was, like, bombarded with all these cases. And I think I was working shifts where I was working late swing. So um, they transitioned me over to a, a schedule where I was working Thursday through Saturday, 2pm to 2am. And that evening flux of clients like that would always kill me. Yeah, some um, of the
0: busiest time of the day.
1: Yeah. So I think that I I didn't like I honestly, like my first few months of ER, I did enjoy it. Um, but I think I just started having this feeling eating away at me that was saying like you know I I just kept having that thought like I don't want to look back and think one day like two years down the line you know you've, you've done ER work you've been out of the competitive end of wanting to apply and like being a competitive like candidate for a cardio residency in the future because you've done two years of ER now rather than just one and you might lose that window because like you said it's not conventional to do Um, a year like of ER after your rotating internship. So uh, the more I waited on it, the more I would lose that window. And so I was running out of time. And I think that that's what really ate away a lot at me. Um, I also had a lot of like, uh, I don't know, like a pivotal epiphany moment throughout this year where I realized that a lot of the reason why I really wanted to stay local and I was thinking about ER would be a great option for me is because my family lives mostly around here. And my Mm -hmm. mom and dad are um, now in their 70s because my mom had me when she was like in her early 40s actually. And it was really eating away at me that I might leave for a residency, be gone for X amount of time and miss out on important events with my family or maybe even, you know, God forbid that I would like come back having to like deal with like a sick parent or something like that because they're old and so um I know that a lot of people like like I I, I talked to a ton of my mentors and people that I would just reach out to and I was like can you just like should I do this or not and a lot of them like one pr- criticalist that actually I spoke to was like I know that you're concerned but you also have to think about that you have 40 plus years left of your career left in you probably and if you do this just to buy some time with, you know, your family, which I've stayed here the majority of my life in LA to be like close to them, then you might get resentful or like actually be even more bummed out in the future about that than you would about just being far away for three years and missing out on that. Cause I, you know, I could still come back anyway. So I just decided I'm just gonna go for it. Like, and I don't know what happened, but I just, something went click. And I was like, you know what? We're just gonna apply to all the residencies available. I don't even know yeah. where I end up. I just want to go. Right. Um, and then, honestly, I don't know why it worked out the way it did. But ending up with a residency, literally, that is like a five and a half hour drive from where I am now, is I don't know something something crazy happened. But I'm super thankful for that. You know, yeah,
0: that's awesome. And it yeah, you you bring up another um, sort of point, and and this is something that I've encountered a lot with. Um, well, this happened when my when I applied for my own residency. But but I, as someone who has advised a lot of um, interns like trying to move on to residency positions, y- mm-hmm. you know, when I applied, I didn't. I I'm from Massachusetts. I didn't want to leave Massachusetts. I applied literally to one program, and was extremely mm-hmm. lucky that I got that. I had done a lot of. I mean luck but also like I had set the groundwork to be able to be kind of accepted into that program but but when I talk to people you know that are looking into going into residency programs and things like that I tell them apply to every single one apply to every (laughs) single one because it increases your pros your chances and you rank them in order of maybe where you want to be or which which ones are your favorites but like so many people struggle with what you just described in that I don't want to go away from my parents. I don't want to go away from my boyfriend. I don't want to like my, my, what my significant other has a, has a job here. Like they can't move. I don't want to be away from them for three years. Like these are legitimate concerns, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you, like, (laughs) I have made people cry because (laughs) I have said essentially what, what you got from that criticalist is that do you really want to give up this dream of yours because you don't want to be away from insert loved one here for three years. And it's, it, and it's, it's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing to come to grips with, but also like walking away from that, that dream and that opportunity because you think, that's you know not not you don't want to have that distance is uh it's a I don't I don't think it's an easy decision at all I didn't make I didn't apply to everything yeah (laughs) like I I but I also like I know in the in the situation of like how to best increase your odds of getting the resident because once you're at that level where you know you want a residency and you're applying for a residency all that matters is getting a residency right there's like there's you can rank them. It, it, all residencies are not created equal. There are some that you're going to get, you know, maybe maybe better training or a higher caseload or whatever it is. You may get something uh, that, th- that you want out of the yeah. residency that might not be as available in a different residency. But the reality mm-hmm. is at the end of the day, if you get a residency, you can be that specialist. And so it's, yeah. if you limit it to you know, people, I, I pe- you know, if, I've, I've worked here in LA, like I had people like you, like, I don't want to leave LA. Well, mm-hmm. guess what, you have like, max, maybe three opportunities, depending on what specialty it is, if you're going to stay in LA, versus we already said the, the 22 or whatever programs, if you apply to all of them, it's not, it's not like the odds are great. But they're a right. whole lot greater than if you're only applying to, you know, two or three locally. So um, it, and I and I only harp on this only to um kind of segue into what I want to talk about next is that mm-hmm. uh the challenges faced in our in the veterinary community and we so we don't people don't know this most people don't know this but um veterinarians are one of the highest suicide rates in like career wise of, of all careers. And Mm -hmm. the statistics, I was just looking the other day to sort of see if there was anything new, but the, the most recent statistics say um, that veterinarians are about, well, male veterinarians are about two times more likely than the general public to commit suicide. And female veterinarians are about three and a half times more likely to commit suicide than the general public. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have recently, and we can talk about this if we want. But I have recently, as I mentioned, uh, I am um, starting a fund that is going to uh, have a um, impact component to it uh, to help combat this problem. But but when I have talked to people about the fund, people that are not in the veterinary community, and Mm -hmm. I say veterinarians have one of the highest suicide rates of all career paths, like literally every one of them just looks dumbfounded and is like, why that yeah. does, like I don't get it. but I bet I bet you can tell them why. I bet that's not a surprise to you to know that you probably already know the statistic, but like I'm I feel sure any veterinarian can tell them why. and I don't like i've I don't have suicidal tendencies. I never have. I haven't had those thoughts, but I know people that have I know people that have committed suicide in one of my my very close mentors did and and it's um it's a real problem, and mm-hmm. I don't it doesn't surprise me, I guess being being in the profession, w- what are your thoughts there and and w- we can kind of go back and forth on this but but does it
1: surprise you? did you know that? No, I did know that. I know we have a like larger percentage than other careers. um I I was looking into, I think that, and I'm I'm not sure the number. I wish I did, but I was looking in just like into the healthcare profession as a whole, because mm-hmm. um, even just like human doctors have kind of a higher rate of suicide than um, you know the general population and other jobs. Especially um, since do- COVID,
0: that that yeah. they're uh, the the, yeah. their, the uh, human medical profession; those numbers jumped up quite a bit um, yeah.
1: through COVID, yeah.
0: which uh, again, understandably, so they were they were frontline and. What was quite terrible?
1: I have not like an exact answer, but I do have like theories. I think that obviously working in the hospital that I did for this year, I learned of like the stressors of um, big things like trying to deal with clients that are angry because they don't have the funds to take care of their animal or like to cover the bills that they need to stabilize like a very unstable pet Mm -hmm. um and then them having the blame placed on you as a veterinarian for that issue being an issue um i think that sometimes people aren't well prepared for how much it's going to be like it's going to take like financially to take care of your pet especially if an emergency does happen or a surgery needs to come up like pet uh veterinary prices in general have skyrocketed i think like i haven't been in the in this career for a super long time but i think that it's very expensive especially working at a large specialty referral hospital to take care of a pet with like quality medicine um that literally since covid i do think that i'm pretty sure a lot of people just went out and adopted a ton of pets like because yeah
0: the number of pets in the u.s doubled during COVID.
1: yeah okay so i mean like if you if you can imagine that literally put a strain on our pr- profession because there's not enough veterinarians to take care of all these pets that people have. And so things are coming through the door. We're literally in the, in the aspect of ER, we're needing a triage. I'm going to take an unstable hit by car over maybe like a, a cat that's fractured its leg at home. And unfortunately, um, one is more unstable than the other. And it's not because we're neglecting our patients that we don't want to see it. And we literally just don't have time. Sometimes we don't even have the resources, like I'm in my hospital, we several times have dogs coming in for heart failure, and we run out of oxygen cages, we're then having to transfer these patients to other hospitals. So just the amount of work we have to do is insane. Um, And then just from the other side, I think that like you said, there's a huge misunderstanding of what we do as a profession, like as doctors, as veterinarians. Um, And sometimes people don't equate what human medical doctors do to what a veterinarian does but it's probably almost exactly the same because we're just treating something with fur but they all have the same organs they generally have the same issues and they're just as complicated so it's like um I don't know I, I just think it's a combination of effects and people come in and they have high expectations they have little um funds and then they expect you to diagnose something off of just a physical exam and you have to explain to them that that's not how it works you have to put in a ton of money for these diagnostics there's frustration um a lot of the stuff that i've seen also like clients leave some sometimes some very terrible reviews on yelp or something that really hit veterinarians because honestly probably the, the majority of us the reason why we chose this profession is because we love animals and we want to help animals. And the fact that like, we are now acting as metal men and talking about finances, we're acting as counseling services, like when people come in and having to like comfort people, it's a lot more on our plate than I think that we were all initially prepared for. Um, and that takes a toll on you, like every day.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think um, you hit on many of the issues, but I think you're 100% right. It's not, it's not one thing. It's, mm-hmm it's all of these things it's the it's the you know the financial pressures from the clients that want you to uh treat their pets for little to no money because that's what they have you have um the the like i said the, the number of pets have doubled in the us while the um, number of veterinarians and the number of technical staff has gone down so you have mm-hmm. an already worked overworked population um or profession being essentially inundated with even more work. Um, You have, you mentioned that we do the same thing as, you know, the human medical side. And that's 100% true from a medical standpoint. We do virtually everything that uh, medical doctors, and we're expected to do it at about a 10th of the cost. Um, But here's one thing that they don't do that we have to do. They don't do euthanasias. Oh, yeah. That is, as you said, every veterinarian I know went into this because they love animals and they want to help them. They want to fix them. They want to save them. Nobody did this because they thought they were going to make a ton of money. Nobody did this because they wanted to perform uh, convenience euthanasias for people. That's not that's not what the reason behind becoming a veterinarian is. And it's it's hard to, I think, kind of like as an outsider probably to recognize all of those different things that are going mm-hmm. on. And, and even, even in our patients that like, probably at that sometimes I think being able to perform euthanasia is, is actually a, a, a service a, like a, a blessing that we get to provide because they've gotten yeah. to a point where they're, they're no longer savable, but oftentimes yeah. we've put a ton of effort into trying to save them by the yeah. time we get to that point and so of the owners you know those owners that there, there's many many wonderful owners that commit completely to their pets but the reality is is it's a loss to that veterinarian in a lot of ways you know not as much as the owner but in a lot of ways we get very um emotionally attached to them so um you know bring all that together you you already mentioned that you know you don't really make any money until you kind of get out of all of the specialty all of the training programs and if you mm-hmm. didn't do an internship you're going to have a much lower salary starting as a regular veterinarian than you would have if you had done an internship or became a um became a specialist and then yeah. you add on the student loans i don't know if you have student loans i i oh yeah yeah so <laughs> do you will you, do you mind sharing what your how much student loans you have
1: I honestly haven't checked as of recently but I think when I and you've put a pause on like interest accru- accumulation yeah, yeah. Coming back because of all this stuff but uh covid but I think the number is like somewhere around $250,000 of student loans that that yeah. that I go back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, and well. I and I know people with <laughs> I mean that's a huge number it's 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 crazy but I I know people with even more than that. I yeah. I personally feel that I got lucky because I got out with $160,000 of school loans. And for whatever reason, at the time I finished vet school, I was able to consolidate my loans at 1.75%. I don't know. I don't know what happened. At the, oh. I didn't know enough about finances at that point to know <laughs> yeah. what, like why that happened. I couldn't explain it to you, but it was kind of awesome <laughs> that it yeah. did because for me, to for I, and I was able to amortize it over 30 years. So for me, there's no, oh, nice. there's no incentive to pay it off sooner. But yeah. I know a lot of people in your shoes, a lot of like younger veterinarians that have mm-hmm. 200, 300. I've heard of like couples that are over $500,000 in, you know, vets wow. that married other vets that are, are mm-hmm. over $500,000 in um, student debt. And their interest rates are five, six, seven, maybe even higher in terms of yeah. percentage. Mm-hmm. I mean, like basically you, you you enter your career with a mortgage payment, that doesn't get you a house like most people their biggest expense is their housing payment mm-hmm. and you know essentially uh, young veterinarians are so so my point being all of this comes together to create uh, a, a multitude of you know stressors from different angles and so when people say that the suicide rate in veterinarians is high i don't have any Reason to doubt that or question it. I don't have to ask why. I know why. I also have two small children, and I tell them they can be anything they want in the world, but secretly, I hope they are not a veterinarian. I literally do not want my kids to follow in my footsteps. Like, I don't, my, my, I'm a vet. My wife's a tech. I do not want my kids to follow it. Like, I keep (laughs) them away from it. I don't want them to see what I don't want them to get interested in it. Like, it's, it's crazy because. I see the toll that it takes on, you know, especially the young veterinarians at this point. And it, it's, um, it's hard. It's hard to watch. Like, like I love yeah. doing surgery. I love what I do. I, I, I have helped a lot, a lot of animals and I love that, but I, I don't know, sometimes, some days I'm like, this is not, this is not worth it. And, and, uh, and I see it and in, in a lot of ways, because I see it in the residents I train, I see it in, you know, the interns that I've worked with, I see it, mm-hmm. you know, I met you as a student, like I see it in their faces, this mm-hmm. like, like, almost like unfathomable level of pressure and stress at yeah. at the beginning of a career. And it's like, and it, it's, it's, it's hard to think, like, I would, I would point my kids in that direction. So it's, yeah. it's, a, yeah. it's a, it's a problem. Um, and it's a worse problem now that that COVID sort of increased those numbers. And there's a lot of people that have left the profession, especially on the, on the technical side, like the, the, the staff that we need to do our jobs. So it's, um, look, I don't like follow your dreams. I don't want to discourage (laughs) anyone from, if they want to be a vet, but, but, but recognize, you know, what you're up against. And mostly I wanted to talk about this because I don't think people know, I don't think, I don't think the general public knows this and I don't think I have to hope that those clients that are coming in, I understand that they are stressed because there's their pet is in distress, but those clients that are coming in and being belligerent and, um, you know, degrading these, these emergency veterinarians and things like that, like, like I'm an old man. I've been doing this a while. Like, I don't, you can say what you want. I don't care, but I see how it hurts uh some of these you know younger doctors that are that are wow. starting out and really just trying to help and it's um i i it, it's it's really it's really tough and I, I want people to to know that 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 is a very real issue and that that what they say to their veterinarian may may truly have an impact beyond what you uh what you're thinking about in that moment um yeah so te- we know, so you're going to, you're going to come, you know, you're going to, you're going to start in a cardiology residency, uh, be mm-hmm. I assume in July, something, June, July, something like that.
1: Yeah. End of July. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, yeah. and then you'll have three years there and then, and then you'll, you know, kind of sail off into the sunset as a, as a famous cardiologist, but
1: the, <laughs> the, they, yeah. But
0: that's a, it's exactly what happens. No, but, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's, uh, it, I'm very happy for you and and, um again congratulations on sort of achieving that milestone I I want to ask you the questions that I ask every guest I it's not um most of the guests I have on here are are real estate related so I'm going to tailor these a little bit to um you know the veterinary world and and uh we'll we'll see we'll see where it goes but the first one um is, is I always ask everyone, you know, cause the name of the podcast is know your why. And so I always ask people, what is your why? And, and oftentimes uh, if, if, you know, to give you context, the idea is like, what is the thing that keeps pushing you towards, you know, the level of success that you're, you know, we just talked about all the, all the different roadblocks block, and steps you had to get through to kind of get where you're at now, what keeps you going? Like what keeps you excited about, you know, the future?
1: Um, I think several things. I couldn't really pinpoint one thing. And it's been like a constantly dynamic sort of changing situation. But um, in the beginning, lo- the reason why I started all this is truly because um, I love animals. And like, I love working with them. Um, then eventually, like, of course, my family, like, I'm, I'm always thinking about my future with my family and how I'll be able to help them in the future too so like obviously financial stability is really important to me so I can take care of them too um and I think like probably when I peeked my head out of the like the internship coma that I came out of um I realized that I do really want to do something that like the way I feel fulfilled is like helping probably others with maybe like sharing my experiences and stuff and Um, like recently, I think, well, not recently for a while I fell out of, for example, like the, I have an Instagram page. I used to post a lot more to like try to raise awareness about our field, but also like share with that students, the path of like how you get to certain places. And I fell out of that. And I think that it was also because honestly, I was kind of depressed during internship and I just didn't want to think about anything else except doing my job and getting through it. Um, but now I feel like I want to do that again. So like my, why has become recently that I want to contribute something. Cause at the end of the day, like no matter what you do, um, and what you collect the stuff that really what's left of you afterwards is like what you emanated to other people around you, like the lessons learned and stuff. So hopefully that is going to keep me going.
0: Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, and I, and I think that, uh, I I completely believe that you you can have that impact. I think you you um, have a unique perspective and in, in, um have the ability to sort of share that story in in a relatable way. So I think that'll be awesome. Um, Thanks, yeah. Second question for you. This one mm-hmm. I don't have to change. Tell us something about yourself that isn't common knowledge, a special skill, a hobby. What what. Uh, what, what are you comfortable sharing a little, little insider information?
1: Um, special skill. I feel like honestly, cause I was going to say something like kickboxing, but I only did that for two years. And I think my special skill, um, is that throughout this entire time where we've been hyper fixated on like getting through my, my career or, or like, you know, we as vets, I mean, um, that we have to work so hard in, in like doing everything and putting in so many hours in our job. I still tried to like maintain being active. I think that that's probably what kept me sane throughout a lot of my um, um, time as an intern, as a vet student. And that's what I try to like share with people is like, um, no matter what, if you can find a way to exercise, whether that be like a stroll around your neighborhood um, once a day for like 20 minutes, I think that that makes like immense, like an immense difference in your mental health. Um, So I've always found a way to do it. I'm the type of person that needs to stay active to stay like, just like mentally okay. And I think I asked you during, when I was a vet student, we were like in the middle of a surgery. I was like, Mm -hmm. how did you do it? Like, how did you stay active throughout your internship or something? And you told me that um, you'll find a way to do it if like that's your priority. And I think that that really resonated with me. And I was like, as long as I prioritize being like physically active and healthy, I think I'll find a way to do it. And I did. And I think it's helped me immensely. And I think everyone should do it in general
0: yeah yeah and yeah we we did have that conversation and and it and it's funny because and i think this i believe this holds true for both of us but for me like i i love to exercise anyway i've always i've always done it like really literally my whole life but i it makes Mm -hmm. me feel better from a mental health standpoint as much as it is like a physical benefit it's just that the um i don't know my head's clearer i sleep better like getting in some level of exercise. And and like you said, like, it doesn't, it, you don't have to do like two hours of cardio. It's, it's like literally yeah. like go for a walk, take a dog for a walk, like mm-hmm. t- whatever, just get out there and, and be in the, and, and like, it, it makes such a huge difference in, you know, how, how you're going to feel uh, yeah. overall, how you're going to feel about yourself. Like, I, I do think it makes, it makes a tremendous amount of um, impact yeah. in like just the way that you I don't know. Even just view the world,
1: for sure. Yes.
0: Um. When people hear this, and if they would like to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Um. So I I I have this this Instagram account. It's my handle is Mary M E R Y dot Vet Med. Um. And it's spelled Mary because I originally spoke Spanish, and if you spell it M A R Y in Spanish, it's like Mari, and I was like that doesn't make any sense. So. When they asked me when I was four years old how I want to spell my name, I said M E R Y. So that's why. So that's how you can reach out to me. You, go. you, got,
0: <laughs> you, got, you got you got to pick how you spelled your own name. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: and they but... didn't correct, me, which is the funny part. Yeah, so like... <laughs> that's
0: that's pretty good. That's a that's a pa- parents with um, I guess open uh, <laughs> open boundaries there. I suppose, which is which let is me awesome. make my
1: mistakes. Yeah, exactly.
0: I... <laughs> well, it's it's unique, so people people can and. um,
1: yeah,
0: they they should be able to find you, but we'll put it, we'll also put in the show notes so that they, they have that. Um, Final question for you. And so, so generally what I ask is, again, because it's typically we're talking about real estate, but, but most of the time I I talk about, or I ask, you know, what, what piece of advice would you give to someone who is getting started in real estate? I, I want to leave this open for you, Mary, about like, you can you can take it in in you know sort of the veterinary veterinary medicine way or if you just want to give us you know some parting words of of your like wisdom your approach to to mental health I know you mentioned exercise things like that but I do think um to me a lot of this conversation we, we talked about all the different components that may be Um, semi-damaging to people's mental health within our profession but like what can they do what other things can they do to 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 help there
1: um do you mean people outside of our community to help our community or like people within the community how can they
0: i would say we can start with people within our community to help themselves right because you've got to start you got to start at home. Um, I think, you know, you got to, you got to look in inward first. So, so we talked about, you know, sort of the exercise and being active. What other things do you think people, you know, young veterinarians that they can do to help um, balance all the different stressors and, and pressures of the, of this career path?
1: Honestly, I think what helped me the most, and especially I'm thinking of like my internship year, which it was like the toughest year of my life, Having like a network of friends or family to just vent to, and literally just—it um, sounds like a lot when you're going through a lot of like depression and anxiety. And um, it's even just like reaching out to someone is a is a big feat. But I think just literally reaching out, and saying, "Hey, I'm I don't feel okay right now. Can you just be there for me?" is huge because then that person knows, um, and it's it really shows a lot of strength that you could do that hopefully you pick the right person. So that's why you should always like reach out to hopefully like a small network of people that you really trust. But even if not that there's the, not one more vet um, community is also like present on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, There's ways that you can, you know, post and share your stories or even just get in touch with someone that might connect you to people that could help you um, or reaching out to a therapist, but reaching out to other people in general, because if you sit through it alone it's probably the most difficult way that you could get through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you need to, to, to find, you know, find mentors, find colleagues, find, you know, friends, family, whatever it is people to, to have in that support system and, and help you kind of balance those pressures. It's probably helpful to talk to people that have been, been through it kind of ahead of you, um, exactly. and have gone through the same, same situations, you know, it's, mm-hmm you know like like you mentioned you you asked me how I how I stayed active and I, and I just I prioritized it it's just it is it was like this is something I can't live without so I think yeah. that that that's a great piece of advice and and having people um around you that can kind of help you uh w- when things do get hard and and you know this sort of goes to I guess anything in life but but it is it is important to have that that support system mm-hmm. um yeah you know available to you. So
1: Yeah.
0: Listen, this was awesome. Um I yeah. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really appreciate, you know, kind of all that you shared. Um Yeah. I would uh I actually would love to sort of continue this conversation this topic cuz I think it's an important one. So um yeah. we'll we'll either get you back on or we'll do some I don't know, do some Instagram lives or something like that. We'll, yeah. we'll do something to keep to keep that it going, good. but um Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for coming on. Thank
1: today. you. Really. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome.
0: And uh, folks listening, I know, especially those in the veterinary community, you're, you're really going to love this episode. Um, please like rate and review uh, helps us get great guests on like Dr. Wang. And um, I do intend to have uh, more veterinarians come on and, and sort of share their their experiences within the field. So If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.